I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 378. And today we're joined by my pal and renowned pressure land bow hunter, Andy May to break down how we'd handle some of the most challenging situations and scenarios in the deer hunting world. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. Today in the show, due to high demand from a lot of you listeners, we're doing another one of these What Would You Do podcasts. And the guest that we have, the guest that so many people have wanted to have for one of these, is the one and only Andy May. Now, most of you are probably familiar with Andy. He's been a frequent guest on the show. He's one of my best hunting buddies. But if you're new, here's the back of the baseball card stats. Andy is from Michigan. He's a dad. He's a regular 9-to-5 kind of job guy. But he's found a way to have a level of deer hunting success that it's pretty much unparalleled even when comparing it to a lot of folks with big farms in Iowa or these guys that travel all over the country hunting for a living, he's getting that kind of success level, but he's doing it very differently than how those guys are. He's hunting in Michigan or on quick, like long weekend type DIY hunts out of state when he can fit them in. And it's on public land or it's on by permission ground. It's small pieces for all these reasons and more. He's become one of the most helpful guests we've ever had in the podcast and one of the most helpful people for me as someone to kind of be a sounding board. Andy's one of the people I give a call and chat with when I'm wondering, you know, what do you think about this situation? What what do you think about that? Or he'll tell me about what he's doing. We're going to bounce ideas around. He's a great guy to talk to for those kinds of things. So it seemed like a given that we had to bring him on to run him through the what would you do gauntlet. So... That's what we're going to do. I'm going to pose a series of hypothetical but detailed deer hunting scenarios to Andy, and then he's going to explain what he'd do and why he'd do it. Just that simple. We're going to cover everything from ideas for hunting in October, dealing with the October shift, a lot of different things around the pre-rut and the rut. Uh, We cover the whole season. We cover a lot of things that can be applicable, whether you hunt in Michigan or Missouri or 
Mississippi. So, uh, yeah, let's just get right into it. Without further ado, let's find out what Andy May would do. All right, I am back with my pal Andy May. Andy, thanks for uh, for hopping on here again. Hey, no problem, man. It's always good to chat. I know it's fun. I'd like to pick your brain throughout the season, but usually it's you know we got ten minutes here, twenty minutes there, so it's always a treat that I can hog you for an hour, an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I'm glad you can make the time for it. Yeah, well, no problem. Anytime. What's uh What's the hunting season been looking like for you? We talked I don't know a week or two ago, but what's been going on since then uh, as far as whitetails? Um, I mean it's been good. Uh, I shot down to kentucky for a real quick hunt um and had a a really awesome hunt i didn't shoot anything um but that's not to say i didn't have some opportunities at some nice deer i saw quite a few uh what i thought were like two and three year old bucks um and then i came really close to getting an opportunity at a, a real nice 10 um but swirling winds in the hills um you know they got me so uh he su- he survived, um, came home empty-handed, but I'm hoping to make it back down there eventually sometime this season. Um, and then as far as, you know, my kind of my home turf, Michigan, northern Ohio, um, there's a there's an old buck, real old buck that I'm, I'd really like to shoot in Ohio. Um, he's just a really tricky one in the area he lives, and um, he, he roams a lot. He, he covers miles and, um, it's really open terrain. So he spends a lot of time like running those ditches and in standing cornfields and stuff. So I've been working real hard trying to narrow that down. Um, I've seen him a few times in the past, got some pictures of him. So I'm, I'm trying to kind of compile that history and then, you know, and read, try to find some of his sign that has you know popped up years past and currently, and he's just going to be a tricky one, but he's, he's a, a really unique deer. He's a, just a real big six point, like real big frame, just yeah, super a, cool rack. He's a stud. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a neat deer. So that's, that's the one I would really like to get there. Um, and then in Michigan has been, a, it's been a strange year. I, I don't think I've ever scouted so hard preseason as far as like glassing and, uh, checking cramp checking cameras and, and looking for sign and, and just big tracks and i have not been able to find um anything that i would consider mature you know that i wanted to go after lots of two-year-olds i finally found a couple of like three-year-old bucks but they're they're on the smaller side so it's not really anything i'm interested in shooting but it's just one of those years i mean you know every once in a while in michigan i i get a year like this where it just seems really thin um you know but it is what it is. It's early and, uh, there's plenty of does around. So I'm just trying to stay on the search. And, you know, if nothing, if I can't turn anything up here in the next few weeks, I, I got to think there'll be some good ones moving in. Um, so I'm just going to try to keep tabs on some of the areas I hunt and then move in when the timing is right. Yeah. I guess that's all you can do. Yeah. Um, so you, I think you know how this kind of episode goes, but a little bit different than some of our past ones. Basically, what I want to do is lay out a bunch of somewhat detailed hypothetical scenarios and then have you kind of walk through your thought process, what you'd be thinking about, what you would do in that scenario, how you would do it, uh, and so on. Um, Yep. So I kind of want to just jump into it, and I'm going to send out a bunch of these, and we'll just kind of see where it takes us. Um, This first one's pretty detailed. Um, 
and, and, and you might find it to be something you're interested in. Uh, let's start with this, Andy. What would you do if you were hunting a buck that you had history with, but he ranged over a wide area, miles at times possibly, and he covered an area that had strange cover, like just not a lot of timber, big standing cornfields, open areas, um, and he's hard to pin down from one section to the other section. This might sound familiar. Um, yeah. <laughs> what would you, what would you do in that situation if you were in mid October and you're still trying to figure him out in that scenario? How specifically would you try to pin him down? Yeah, that sounds very familiar. That's the situation. <laughs> That's the exact situation I'm in right now. Um, I like to throw a softball to get started. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's very unique, man. I've never really, uh, I've never kind of had this much intel on a buck. Um, but at the same time felt so behind the ball with killing him. Um, just because like you said, he, he, I have evidence, uh, through finding his rubs, um, pictures and sightings of a stretch of about pretty much a triangle of areas uh, right, right around two and a half miles is the two farthest points. Um, you know, and that's kind of throughout the season. Um, every time I've seen him, he has been traveling either into or out of standing corn. And then I find a lot of his rubs, um, along those ditches that you're talking about, just little, just little flat, uh, I'm, this, this area I'm talking about is extremely flat, like a pool table. And, um, those there's little drainage ditches that kind of run through some of the fields. So what I did was I, quick, I already had permission. On, real quick. Yeah. Sorry. But these drainage dish, drainage ditches you're talking about, how do you see him running it? Does he literally, does he run just on the edge of the crop field up high or does he actually run kind of down low in the ditch partway down the hill? So I've actually, I actually saw this buck pop up out of the, out of one of those ditches. So he will run right down the middle of them, but I've seen his rubs going along them. Okay. So a lot of these ditches, um, the, the crop fields will kind of go up to the edge, but then there'll be like a little buffer of kind of like tall weedy areas. Yeah. And deer will travel up and down there. And every once in a while you get kind of like a bushy tree or, or a, you know, a good sized tree. And then I was finding really what makes his, his rub so distinct is that he's, he just shreds the tree. It looks like a banana peel. Just, I mean, literally just bark kind of hanging like open. Um, and I think it's just cause his, his antlers are so gnarly and his bases are so knurled up. Hmm. But so I'm, I'm trying to put the puzzle together, the puzzle pieces of like where his sign is, where I've had sightings and where I've gotten pictures. And it literally, you know, in a, in this triangle of, properties you know two and a half mile one of one of which being public um so what i did uh this was kind of my strategy is uh, i basically drew this triangle of, of kind of his home range or at least part of it and then i tried to ask permission on everything in between that was planted in corn this summer or had those ditches running through it and i was able to pick up one piece um so you know, I, I, I have a few spots, even though they're small spots and they don't have much cover They're they're, you know, four spots that I could potentially run into this deer. And my, 
my strategy so far this year has been to glass every morning I can and try to see him on his feet at first light. And ironically, I did that um, opening day of Ohio's bow season in the morning. It was like 7.15, 7.20, and I catch a big old rack in the beans. And I'm like, holy smoke. So I hit the hit the brakes on the truck, and I'm glassing, and it's him. And he's in a really weird spot somewhere that I've never seen him before. And he's kind of feeding in these beans, and then all of a sudden, he just lays down right in the beans. <laughs> and there's like this little weedy patch Um and then there was this one of those ditches I was talking about. This one has some pretty good trees, like trees you could get out and hunt out of um, that kind of wind through that the edge of that field. And it make actually makes like a 45 degree turn right out uh, kind of in front of where that buck bedded. So I potentially could have gotten in a tree within 70 yards of this buck. And, you know, I watched him bed down. But of course, you know, <laughs> my daughter has a soccer game that day or that afternoon. Um, and I got to take her. Her mom couldn't make the game. So, I mean, it, it's just one of those things. That was probably my best opportunity that I've had at that buck. And I've known about this deer for three years now. Um, and I just couldn't hunt. But I could hunt the next day. And I, I just banked and hoped he was kind of in that same area. And I got up in the tree that um, I kind of had eyeballed and he just wasn't there so it was just i think it was one of those deals where he's just feeding late in the morning and he kind of got caught out in daylight and he just bedded down in a little weedy patch in the middle of bean field so um that's kind of been my strategy is to glass and try to get an eyeball in him but it's it's ironic you asked this question because i was just talking about it with my hunting buddies um i'm kind of thinking and I don't usually do this. I'm not a guy that overhunts a single spot at all. I mean, I, I really rarely hunt, you know, a spot more than one or once or twice a season. But because this deer has been so kind of sporadic in his movement, um, there's, there's two or three spots where I know he was in daylight last year throughout the season. One, one spot in, uh, specifically is like this little tiny thicket but had, uh, it has these like locust trees in there with the pods mm-hmm. and he was feeding on those. But what's cool about these trees, they have all these old, uh, low hanging branches and this area was just scraped up. And I had him on camera three or four times in daylight throughout the season. And it was just, wasn't in a certain time frame. It was like, you know, early October and then mid-October and then late October. And then, and then maybe one more time early November. And then I saw him a couple times um, around there too, um, just glassing and whatnot. But I'm, I'm almost considering every time I got a good wind just to camp out in that spot and just, uh, it might be, it might that in conjunction with glassing in the mornings might be my best strategy and just hope paths cross. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting in this rut, which I don't like to do where I'm like stuck on one deer because, you know, I've done that in the past and, a lot of times it just doesn't seem like it worked out. You know, Mm -hmm. I had one buck that got poached, another one, uh, trespasser shot, another one, you just lose track of them or or sometimes the deer just wins, you know, and then you, you know, you wasted your whole season kind of on this one deer. I know that feeling well, Andy. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, to be honest with you, there's, there's nothing else really around that I've seen. There's some nice deer, but nothing that I'm real excited to go after. So I, 
you know, I don't really mind it in this case, I guess. And if I don't get them, I don't get them, you know, it's not that big a deal, but I'm considering that it just, it's just a boring way to hunt for me, but it might be the best way for this particular buck is to just stay kind of persistent in one spot and just play that wind perfect and try to put in some time. Um, it reminds me of, a. there's a guy that, um, he's been on a few podcasts lately. He'd be a great guest by the way, but he, he was, I loved his material really early on in my uh, career. His name is Bobby Worthington. Uh, I'm trying. I'm actually been on the phone. We're trying to get him on the phone right now. Okay. Yeah. A phenomenal, phenomenal rut hunter. Yeah. I mean, just, and he, and his whole strategy is when he's, he's often after one buck and he hunts this kind of hill country, big woods type stuff. And he, through his scouting, he tries to find the one tree that that buck passes through the most, uh, in, in his hunting area. The most, the one tree where that deer will pass by more times than any other tree. And then he will literally sit daylight to dark in that same spot every time the wind's right until he gets a crack at him. And I've never really thought of that as a strategy until now, until this deer, because I've really had a hard time pinning him down. Like I've seen him day to day, like a mile apart, you know, or a trail cam picture a mile and a half here. And then a trail cam picture over here, you know, a mile and a half the other way. So it's just one of those deals where that might be a, a sound strategy. So right now that's kind of where I'm at with that. Now I know you're a guy though, that's, you know, talked so much about the importance of the first sit. I know that's something you love that has paid off for you so many times is hunting someplace for the very first time. And that's when you kill him. Is the reason that you think that you can get away with just camping out in a spot is the reason that might work in this situation because of the fact this deer roams so wide, widely. So it's not like, you know, you might hunt four days in that spot. It could be four days in a row, but mm -hmm. you know, three of those four days, he might be a mile away and you're just hoping that you need to hunt it enough times to catch that one day out of seven when he does pass through there. And even though you were there all these days prior, you're hoping he wasn't. So he doesn't know that you were there. He hasn't smelled you yet, et cetera. Is that the calculus? Exactly. Yeah. And this, this area in question is very low deer density. So I think part of the reason these deer move around so much is because the, the low deer numbers and uh, low cover. So they literally have to move to be social and to kind of check their core area. And I think their core areas are much larger than I initially thought when I started hunting this, this type of area. But um, I, I really think that that might be, uh, and I don't know that that's the actual tree that he goes by the most. It may not be. I probably don't have access to that tree. Um, but it, it, I think it's the best chance I got. And I, I think that's what I'm going to try to do. I, every time I get the right win for that is, is just to put in my time in that spot. I rarely ever spook deer in that area because, because of the low deer density. And if they do, they kind of, they come kind of pass through and they scrape and work those branches. And I've seen them feed on those locust pods a little bit. Um, but then they're gone, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of one of those spots that's very low risk. Um, so I don't feel as weird about hunting it more, um, than some of them, like my other spots in Michigan where there might be more deer. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I do hope that this particular hypothetical turns out to be a real success story here soon. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Here's here's another one. Mm -mm. Um, and this one's very detailed because this is pulled from a real-life example as well. Um, 
here's the situation. You are uh, stuck hunting a couple of locations um, because you are you're helping somebody hunt. You're helping someone try to get. Let's say this hypoth. It's your daughter. Let's say we're trying to kill a deer for your daughter. We'll say, and okay. you're only going to hunt preset blinds to get your daughter this deer, uh, a deer, and you're not super picky about you know what you're going to shoot. You're not holding out for a four or five year old buck. You want to get like a decent buck. So here's the scenario. You go out and hunt a spot that's the best spot on the farm that you know of. And, and we're going to say this is one farm you're hunting. You hunt your number one spot that you have a blind. It's close to a bedding area. There's some really nice, small, isolated food sources um, in cover that your blind is set up and looking over. In this case, like a little food plot maybe. Um and then there's some standing crop fields back a couple hundred yards behind you in neighboring properties. That's your setup for the first night. And that first night works out wonderfully. Um, a bunch of deer come out. You see a bunch of bucks. But, you know, it, it doesn't pan out. You're not able to get a shot at the deer. Um, but you saw eight bucks, including several bucks that would have been shooters. No shot. And there are some deer that spook. Some does are blowing, and to get out of there that night, you had to have the field cleared out by someone coming to pick you up on a, an ATV. Okay, so that's what happened on night number one. A lot of activity, but there was some light spooking, okay? You have two options for the next day. You go back to that same spot and know that, yes, there was some activity, but you did see, still see a lot of bucks that didn't get spooked, including those couple shooters, um, but they were just out of range. So you could co- you could go back to that same place and hope for, you know, yeah, there would be some impact because of what happened last night, but there's still a lot of other deer that could come through. Um, you're not being super picky. It's not like you're after just one buck. You're after one of, like, 15 different, you know, two-year-old or three-year-old bucks that have shown up on camera. So that's option A. Or option B, you have one other blind that would work with the wind direction you have. But it's on the other side of the property that's historically not nearly as good. Um, There is a house and a yard within sight of that blind that, if God forbid, at last light, the neighbor decided to come out and start banging around. That could possibly impact your hunt. Um, But you do have a nice little food source that's right by bedding on this side, too. And... You did get a shooter buck on trail camera the day before. You checked a cell cam, and so you've got a shooter buck that was there the night before. You had two shooter bucks at the other spot the night before, um, but there was a little bit of negative activity there. So there's your two possible options. There's some good things going for both. There's some negative things going for both. Um, Walk me through some of the things you'd be thinking about when trying to decide between these two possible options with that wind. And what you would what you would lean towards? So the two shooters didn't uh, spook in spot A, and then you did have a shooter that recently in spot in spot B. Yeah, re, the, the there were shooters at both spots on night number one, but the okay. but the shooters on the shooters in spot number one were probably lightly spooked by the ATV after dark. But they weren't spooked at all by wind or by sight or anything like that. Plus, there's just a bunch of bucks, right? There's eight bucks, and there's many other deer that have been showing up on camera over there. While in position B, not nearly as much activity on camera, 
not nearly as many deer, maybe one or two or three deer max from what you've seen in the past and what cameras are telling you, but you did have a shooter there that night too. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'd probably, in this scenario, I'd probably talk about it with my daughter or the person I was with and, and tell them the, the positives and negatives of, you know, maybe each choice and let them decide like maybe spot B, Hey, there's a, there's, you know, a good one that came through here, but a lot less deer. Um, so there's, you know, there's a chance that we might get that one, but there's also a chance we might not see much at all. Um, or there's where we sat last night where we saw a lot of deer, um, but they did get spooked. So, you know, our, our, probably our chance of success went down slightly, but there's still some chance of success there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if, if I was, uh, I guess if I was with my daughter, I would probably, or anyone that was kind of okay with shooting like any decent buck, I would probably stick in the area that had more of the action, um, at least for one more day. Um, you know, if the, if the target deer weren't spooked, I mean, my, my, uh, my experiences in Michigan have, have, you know, if, when I spook that target buck, I rarely get another chance at him, um, in that area. And, and a lot of times I just lose track of them altogether. Um, so as long as they weren't spooked, um, I would feel confident going in there again, at least for one more sit, but the other deer that were around are probably going to be a little more cautious and, you know, any type of mature animal will start to pick up on that. So you probably have a, a little short, shorter window in that spot, but I would give that a, I'd probably give that another sit if it was more deer and, and more entertaining to, you know, the person that was hunting. And I think that's probably why I'd talk about it with them and, and let them kind of decide. Yeah. Well, this was the exact scenario I was in yesterday, Andy, <laughs> with my dad. <laughs> and, <you> do? <laughs> and so I did exactly what you said and that I talked through these pros and cons with my dad. And I was kind of a 50-50 coin flip on it, thinking yeah. through exactly the same things you said were, were what I was thinking. Um, and I said, hey, this is the scenario. You know, I'm kind of 50-50. If you've got a gut or if you are particularly more excited about one or the other, you know, I – you know, let's, let's see what you think. And, and my dad kind of leaned towards probably sitting the same place that we did the night before, simply because it was a more target rich environment, which is kind of what I was thinking too, knowing mm-hmm. that, that there would be less activity that, you know, that it would be impacted in some way, but maybe we could still have a decent night. Um, and we weren't being super picky with what we would want to shoot. Yeah. So that's what we did. We went back last night and it didn't work out. We, no. we went from seeing like 20 deer, including eight bucks and two definite shooters to seeing three deer. We saw two year and a half old bucks and a doe and that was it. Wow. So it was a, it was a big change from night one to night two. Um, I did not expect it to be that dramatic. I thought, you know, I knew it wasn't going to be as good, but I thought, you know, there might be a, a decent buck still that was somewhere else last night or, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's plenty of other deer in the air that could roll through, but, uh, but it didn't pan out. You never know exactly why it partly, definitely some impact from our pressure. Sometimes it could just be outside factors too. So, yeah, I probably, if it were just me hunting, I probably would have put one more sit in that spot and then I would go to spot B the yeah. next day. If, if the wind allowed, that's probably, probably what I would do yeah. as long as the target deer didn't get spooked. But you know, I mean, I, I was just talking about this with my friend, Justin, Wright, 
uh, yesterday about, um, he, he, he just recently shot a really nice buck and he, he actually bumped it, um, bumped it out of its bed early in the afternoon around three. And then he set up over the bed that immediately and shot that buck coming back to check out wow. what had bumped him out. And I had never had that kind of luck here in Michigan, but I have seen that type of, uh, behavior um out of state and uh, a little less pressured deer so i i mean i know guys get sick of hearing it but i've hunted a lot of states and i i don't really it doesn't really do me any good to say you know that our our deer here are harder to hunt but i, I truly believe they are and it just they just don't get you don't get to make mistakes with these deer and i've made plenty of them and it just, you just no room for error. Um, so I mean, obviously if you got some private ground and you can control pressure a little bit, you, you got maybe a little more room, but it's, uh, it's tough. They're real, real sensitive to, to change in their environment and to the pressure for sure. Yeah. yeah that's the truth. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. So, okay, let's let's run through some different hypotheticals that aren't tied to yours and my own situations right now. Okay. Um, but something that's tied to pressure. Let's say it's October 15th and you're hunting one of these small properties that you hunt in Michigan that has a lot of hunters all around it. There's probably some other guys that hunt the same property that you're hunting too. 
you, for whatever reason, you decide to slip into some thick cover and you're hunting in there and towards the last half hour of light, a big mature buck does step out, but he's moving quickly out of range. You try a light contact grunt maybe, but no response. So now you've got one of two options, I would hypothetically say. You could either get more aggressive with your calling and try a snort wheeze or rattle or a big buck roar or something to try to get his attention. Or does that seem too aggressive for that time of year in a heavily pressured area where there's been hunters all over the place? And instead you would just let him walk because getting crazy with him probably would do more harm than good. Which, which of those scenarios or which of those choices would you choose? Or is there something different entirely that you would be thinking about? Yeah. I, if he didn't respond to just a kind of a light uh, contact grunt, I would just let him walk and I would, I would watch and see how, you know, depending on how much daylight is left, I would see where he travels, what, what, what trees he travels by. And then I would try to, um, if wind permitted, try to set up along that travel route the very next day. Um, so that time of year, I mean, things, things change with, you know, with different wind directions and whatnot, but there's a good chance, um, that he could be bedded in a a very, if not in the same bed in very close proximity to where he was. Um, especially if there's no dramatic change in, in wind. Um, so a lot of what I see in October are like very short little, little patterns. Okay. Like, um, I'll see a good deer in an area, but it, often he'll be doing something similar for like a very short spurt, maybe two days, maybe five days. And then it's, it's something else, whether it's a change due to pressure, it's a change due to, um, you know, possibly changes in food, um, you know, crops coming down, acorns dropping. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of different scenarios there that, that, could cause like pattern changes, but that's what I've noticed. And that's how I've had my best luck with my October kills is, is quickly, um, noticing these, these short patterns and then trying to move in and get the job done quickly. Because like, if I were to, I, in the past, there's been times where like, okay, I'm going to wait until I get, you know, a cool front, you know, maybe six, seven, eight days later or something. And then the deer's completely gone, like no sightings, no pictures, no sign. Um, so I, I like to, in that scenario that you, um, that you explained, I think I would definitely just kind of let him do his thing. And, but I would try to move in and capitalize on that the very next day. Um, and probably if, probably if I didn't get it done the next day, probably even try something similar or maybe adjust slightly the day after. And if I don't have a sighting or get it done, then I'm kind of back to square one. Um, maybe trying to relocate that deer. Now, would you do anything differently if I described everything the same, except for I changed the date from October 15th to November 5th? Yeah. What would you yeah, do then I would. Yeah, I would definitely, um, I would probably be a little, uh, I would g- give more of maybe like more of like a tending grunt or maybe more of like a, a uh, like a long drawn out grunt call. I've had good luck with that rather than just the short little kind of contact grunts 
And if he didn't respond or if I got his attention, it looked like he was somewhat interested. I would probably, I would probably do some rattling. Um, I, I haven't had dramatic luck in Michigan with rattling, but I've killed quite a few early on with rattling, mostly two and three year old bucks. Um, but I wouldn't be afraid to do it that, that time of year, especially if, um, you know, we're talking November 5th. It's like, uh, he, he could be doing something completely different the very next day, you know? So I I wouldn't feel as confident, um, kind of letting him walk and move in and setting up the very next day. He might still be in that area. I mean, very likely what he could be, you know, he could be chasing a doe, you know, 600 yards away over here in this thicket, you know? So it's just one of those deals. The timing is everything and, and what decision I would make in that scenario, I guess. Yeah. So, okay. So one more iteration of that, let's say you tried to get more aggressive with a grunt, you tried rattling and he just kind of was like, Matt, I'm just continuing on. He just moves off, but it's, it's November 5th still. now. <laughs> so mm-hmm. now you just told me that you wouldn't be as confident with moving in there for the next day, but would you still do it anyways? Given that scenario, would you still move over there or, or what in that case? Honestly, like something like that, if I saw something like that, November 5th, um, say I grunted to him, no real response. I rattled to him still walking away. I would be more likely to jump out of my tree at that moment and try to use terrain or cover to kind of get over to where that deer is heading, either cut him off or get into the woodlot that he's heading into the river bottom, the thicket. Um, I would probably try to move in closer to where that deer was. If it's a, if it's a true big buck, uh, a target deer, um, something like that in Michigan during that time frame, I have such a hard time killing a specific buck, um, during those probably November, I would say November 4th on, um, until, until you get like more into like later season. I have a really hard time zeroing in on a specific buck. So I would probably, if that was the deer I was after, I would probably throw it all stops. And I, I don't know. I feel, I feel, I would feel more confident getting on the ground and trying to sneak in close, trying to stalk that deer. Um, like I said, cut him off or even just get into that wherever he's going, just get into that next little bit of cover and, you know, just try to play the win and try to get as close as I can. I would feel way more confident with that having um, a higher chance of success than going and sitting along that travel route that he took on November 5th the next day. Interesting. Interesting. It's a ballsy move, Andy. Ballsy move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to – I'm going to fast forward a little bit because I had a question that is very related to what you just described there. Um, I'm curious how you would think through this slight adjustment on that let's say it's that same kind of time frame november one two three four five somewhere in that first week of november and you spot a buck better with a doe it's late morning let's say 10 a.m and you're glassing and then you see antlers shining in the distance and you realize it's a shooter buck maybe you know you're not after one specific buck but it's it's a buck that you would shoot with a doe uh and you've got these different options for the rest of the day you could wait it out all day and hope that they swing by you. You could get out of your tree and try to reposition to a tree closer to where they are, or you could try to sneak in for an actual spot and stock kill on those deer while they're bedded. Um, 
I want to preface all this with it. It is not a super windy day. It's not really windy. It's just kind of like an average, let's say, five, seven, eight mile an hour wind, something like that. Um, walk me through that situation. Okay. Yeah. Th- so when I see that during that time frame, um, unless unless I have a clear indication that I think they're kind of headed, he's pushing her my way, I'm, I'm more likely, um, if I see them bedded, I'm more likely going to get down and try to reposition as close as I can. That might mean, depending on, um, you know, on the train, on the food situation, it, it might look something like, okay, I think that doe is going to get up and head this way, or I think that that deer is going to push that doe farther this way down, you know, down the cover. I might potentially try to do a ground setup or get up in a tree, you know, quickly. It might be a hundred yards from them. It could be 60. It just depends on how quietly, um, I could get into that spot. Um, the only way I would do, um, a spot and stalk is if they were just in that perfect spot where I could, I could get close to them downwind silently within bow range, but on a, a real calm day, that's, that's a tricky one. Unless you got like a, maybe like a, a small Creek bottom or something that kind of winds through and you could, you know, stay low, you know, in the water to hide your noise a little bit. And then you could pop up and be, you know, maybe within bow range and then just kind of wait for them to stand and make the mistake. Um, so pro- probably either one of those scenarios I would choose depending on what I felt was most likely going to happen. The, probably the best, if you could somehow use the terrain and hide your noise uh, and get within bow range and then just sit and wait, that would probably be my number one choice. But if I didn't feel confident doing that, I would just try to determine the most likely direction of travel once they get up and I would just try to, I would just try to get elevated in a tree if possible. If not, I would just kind of set up on the ground somewhere. And I've, I've, I've done that same exact scenario, uh, a bunch and it definitely doesn't always work out, but I've killed a few that way. Um, my biggest Michigan gun buck was killed that way. It wasn't with a bow, but I ended up shooting him at bow range, but it definitely is one of those scenarios where when you see one bedded with a doe, I think it's time to get aggressive. If they're, if they're out of range and they're not going to, you're pretty confident they're not going to come your way. I'm getting down and I'm repositioning. Cause as long as you don't bump that doe, you're, you're good to go. Cause he's, he's got all his attention on her. So you just have to beat that one deer. Mm-hmm. All right. One more version of this. Let's say you do that. You reposition your setup the doe gets up and they start walking away from your new spot. And it's, it's, I don't know, I guess I don't care what part of the day it is, but they're walking away. Do you throw a bunch of calls at him and try to somehow break that buck off or, or, or what do you do in that scenario? So this takes me back to a hunt that I had in Iowa uh, a few years back. And there was this awesome, heavy, tight racked, nine point he ended up being an 11 um but he, he was the mainframe nine he had some junk kickers and stuff and he was bedded with a doe and from the opposite side this uh, good looking i don't know three or four year old big seven point comes strolling across this crp field and that that buck that was approaching let out this it, this big long drawn out grunt 
And it was so cool because the, so imagine between me and the doe, the, the big buck was bedded, the doe was bedded about 15 yards from him. And then this other one was approaching like further away from me. So he let this big drawn out grunt and that, that big buck stood up and immediately met that other deer and started walking him off. So I think if you can, if you could somehow get in his bubble and, and make some sort of challenge like that, there's a pretty good chance that he might respond. But if he's moving away from you and you're a hundred yards away, I, I think they just continue to move away. So again, everything, all these scenarios are situational, but I think if you could get in that bubble where he feels like he has to defend, then you got a much better chance. What happened in that scenario is that buck met that big seven, walked him off, and then the doe got up because she was, you know, free for him and she started running my way. So he walked that buck <laughs> off. The doe comes running right under me, and then he turns around, sees the doe's running, and here he comes. And then I ended up shooting him. Nice. So yeah, it was it was a really cool, a really cool hunt. And it it I I learned there that, you know, I think if you if you can get in that bubble where they feel like they have to address you, you got a much better chance in that scenario of, of getting a response. But if they're, you know, hundred yards off moving away from you and you're sitting there rattling and grunting, I don't think he's going to come that far. You, you got to be in close. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here's, here's one we're going to rewind back into October now. Um, and it's, it's, it's quite similar to what you're dealing with in Michigan, I'd say. Um, but let's say it's mid, mid October, second week of October, and you were seeing bucks in the summer, some good bucks in the summer and maybe even still into September, but it's been black. It's been dark since the season opened, basically, as far as nothing moving in daylight, you're still seeing some bucks, but there's some trail camera. There's still some trail camera data, but it's all nighttime stuff. Um, and it's now middle of October. How would you, with just that information at a high level, how would you approach the snare? Would you just stay away from your stuff and not hunt your good stuff until later in the month? Or would you try to seek them out in a more aggressive fashion in mid-October? I mean, it just depends on what we're talking about here. If we're talking about, you know, uh, if I'm a guy that owns my private 80 acres and it's just me, um, you know, or maybe something smaller than that. I'm going to be less likely to pull off something super aggressive, like, you know, searching through the property. Um, if there's good doe activity and whatnot, I, I probably, unless I had a really good, really good knowledge of, of where I thought these deer were, um, I would probably wait until, you know, the action picks up like later October and kind of start hunting the doe areas that's not really, that's not really my style. I have a hard time doing that. And I don't really, I don't know for me personally, I'm always kind of looking for what, what, what that big buck is doing now. And if I can't find one, I'm, I'm constantly searching and that's kind of what I'm in right now. I'm, I'm just looking for a buck that I can hunt. And there's some spots that I hunt that have good doe activity. So I do feel that those are going to pick up later in the month, but I'm not going to sit back and do nothing. So I'm, I'm trying to leave those areas alone because they're small enough where there's just not enough room um, to really like maneuver. And I don't really necessarily think there's a big buck living in there that's I don't know about in, in any of those areas. But I know they're good areas. Um, 
So I'm just trying to let those, just let the does kind of do their thing, you know, without being bothered. And then when the action picks up, that's when I'll slip in. And that's when I have really good success on those, you know, first sit, second sit, maybe, um, when you just haven't been in there all season. But in the meantime, I'm doing tons of scouting, like more than I ever have, just trying to find a buck that I can go after now. And that's why I've been spending more time in Ohio. I actually haven't even hunted Michigan yet because I can't find a shooter buck to go after. And so, and what specifically is that scouting looking like right now? Well, it's been a mix of glassing. Um, I've been doing some glassing. I've been running more cameras than I ever have. I've never been a big like camera numbers guy. I've actually owned, I don't know, eight or nine cameras, but I've, I rarely have more than like four or five out. I got them all out right now (laughs) and I'm trying to find something. Um, and then I've been doing a lot of just what I call like uh, still hunting, scouting with your bow. Um, like, you know, just kind of sneaking around and looking for hot sign, something that indicates a mature deer, a big track, big rubs, um, you know, anything along those lines that would lead me towards an older deer that I might be able to go after, but I've just been striking out at every turn, but I'm not too worked up about it. It's just, it's just one of those years where things are a little thin, but like I said, there's good doe activity and uh, on years like that, where I don't have one to go after early, um, to me, it's just like, you keep looking, but then you just wait for that, you know, a little bit closer to the rut late October, you get some more action in those areas. And then you just, you try to slip in and, and get the job done on a good one. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about this? Let's say we're getting a little bit later in the month, but it's not quite late, late October. Let's October 19th. And kind of like your scenario you're describing, you're not getting daylight pictures of bucks that you want to hunt. Maybe you haven't got any of these bucks you want to hunt on camera yet, but you know where you think there's a buck from past years. You think this buck's still around and you know him kind of well. And a cold front hits at that time of year, a pretty, a a decent cold front, maybe like, uh, I don't know, low teens type temperature drop from the highs from one day to the next. Would that be enough of a trigger for you to go into one of these spots where historically this buck has been, even though you don't have pictures of him in any of those low impact spots yet? Um, or do you need to have something more? Um, I would probably, so like those October cold fronts are just, uh, man, they're, they're just gold. I've had some of my best hunts. Um, so I won't miss an October cold front, but I definitely want to be in an area that I have confidence in. Like I, I, I really have a hard time hunting anything now, just kind of sitting and hoping that a big buck is in the area. I want, I need something. I need his sign. I need rubs. I need a track. I need a picture. I need a sighting. Um, but if I, if I have any of that, then yes, I have the confidence to go in I I'm it it's it's so dependent on on what kind of intel you have. I might hunt a bed that I've scouted um you know during that time of year 
especially with a, a cold front, if it, it looks like a, um, a bed that a mature buck has used or a, um, a good bed in an area where I know a mature buck is living, even though I don't have necessarily a picture of him, but in the past, you know, he had been there, you know, there, a lot of times in October, what I'll do is I'll, I'll just kind of bounce from bed to bed that I've scouted, even though I don't have, um, specific Intel, like a picture or a sighting. That's what I used to do a lot when I had a lot more time, but now it's like, I try to be much more picky and choosy and efficient, I guess. So, I don't have like all those days to just throw sits at all those beds. So I like more of a confirmation of, of sign, a visual or a, a trail cam picture to have the confidence and go in for that, that hunt. Cause I might only get like two days a week to, to really get after it. Um, but that, that late October I've had, I mean, I'm, that mid October or any time in October where the, I've had that cold front hit, I've had such good activity, but I, I would still want to be, have that confidence that I'm in that area where a buck that I'm after is at. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would, I wouldn't just go, I wouldn't just go sit anywhere. I might, I mean, I might sit an observation stand in a, in an area where I could see a long ways. I do that often. I mean, that's when I say I'm glassing a lot of times that's I'm, I'm in an observation stand, not necessarily expecting to kill, but expecting to, or hoping to see something that I can move in on. Um, so it's not like I'm just sitting on the edge of the road, you know, sometimes down in Ohio, that's okay. Cause it's so flat and you can see a long ways, but a lot of times I'm up in a, a tree somewhere, but I still want that confidence that I'm in an area where a buck is now. Um, and not just kind of hoping, I don't know if that answers the question good enough. Yeah, no, it does. It does. And I, I get what you're saying. Um, what if we flip this scenario, um, well, let, let's change the scenario a little bit more than just flipping it. Let's take that same time frame, somewhere in that late teens of October, and you're doing something that I know you do often, which is go on one of these kind of short out-of-state trips. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a long weekend, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And since things haven't been going very good in Michigan and you're, you're struggling to find this buck in Ohio, you decide, you know what, I'm just going to do a flyer. I'm just going to go to Missouri maybe or Kentucky and hunt a spot I've never hunted before. But you found some public land that looked decent and you're like, I'm just going to try it for four days. You're showing up sight unseen. I know you like to have previous scouting on a spot like this, but for some reason you didn't. Maybe it's because I told you you couldn't and you had to show up sight unseen and, and kill a buck. Mm -hmm. um, and let's say this is a relatively small piece of public land. I don't know, a couple hundred acres, give or take. Um, it's all timber. There's some topography, some ups and downs, some ditches, some stuff like that, but relatively mono culture as far as mostly timber. And then you have crop fields on the outside edges. Let's say on it's, if it's let's say it's a rough rectangle type oval type shape with crops on neighboring properties on your north west and east and then the road axis is from the south and you've got four days walk me through day one how you would try to wrap your head around trying to find a decent buck in this kind of spot given all that very generic you know setup uh walk me through how you might think through this hypothetical scenario for october 19th ish that weekend um and you're trying to figure something out on this brand new place yeah. So even, 
even out of state in a an area that gets less pressure than Michigan, I mean, that time frame, I still feel like you're gonna have to be you're gonna have to get close to where those bucks are bedded. Um so if if I don't have any pre-scouting, I most likely would really dig deep on those maps. Um looking at topo and aerial, and I would probably circle um or at least drop a pin on the likely areas that I think that jump out to me that these, these are probably areas to scout out. And then what I would do is I would literally, I would throw a stand or a saddle on and I would have my bow and I would scout my way in and I would check all these areas. And I, like I said, I, I hunt from, I like to still hunt and kind of, uh, scout my way into areas like this that I don't have previous knowledge and then I'm either, I'm looking for something that's going to tell me like this, this is the spot. So I'm looking for that hot sign, these, these fresh rubs, these fresh scrapes, that time of year, um, you can capitalize on that stuff if it's in close proximity to bedding. Now in Michigan, that you might need to be really, really close because they're just not going to move as far or, or a high pressured area. If it's slightly less pressured, you got a little more wiggle room there. Um, and I would feel like in a state like Missouri, I mean, I know they do get pressure, but I would feel confident, um, kind of just still hunting and scouting my way back into these spots. And if I see something I like, I might set up right then and there. If, if it looks hot and I feel like I'm close enough to where I, where I'm estimating where, you know, these bucks are bedded or this buck, um, I would set up right there. And if I don't find it, I might keep still hunting all the way towards that bedding and just, just keep sneaking along and glassing and looking at sign. If I don't ever find anything, um, then I just go to plan B, you know, the, the, a different spot that I marked. So I, that time of year when I would expect them to be kind of more on a, a bed to feed pattern and, you know, maybe just starting to kind of like mark their territory a little more, um, you know, if, it, if it's cold, even better, you know, more scraping activity, more rubbing activity, but I would really be looking for that big buck sign and the closer it is to the, the bedding or where I think they're bedding, the, the better, more confident I feel about setting up on that. And if I'm seeing stuff down by the, the field edge, um, you know, that, t- that might tell me that there's a good one in the area, but I still would like to relate back to the bedding a little closer on some sort of travel route to and from. So that, that's probably how I would do it. I, Zach, Zach Farrenball and I talked about this cause we're very similar in this way that, you know, when going into a new area like that outside of the rut, like in the rut, it's, it's pretty simple. Like I can set up on doe bedding, like likely doe bedding, um, just with some quick scouting or a good funnel that just, you know, connects two big, pieces of cover and you could have a really good hunt just by doing that during the rut. But that time of year, um, without pre-scouting, I want to be on the ground and I want to be able to read the sign kind of moving through the cover. And when I find something that says, Hey, this is where I need to be. Everything adds up. I'm close, you know, I'm close to these bedding points and there's good sign here. These are big rubs. There's big tracks here. This, this ditch crossing is, is really beat down and there's some big tracks you know, something like that, something that tells me like, this is the spot with only four days, I'm going to be real aggressive. And, um, in that scenario, it's not even that big a deal. If I, 
if I did bump one, you know, if I, if it was like a, some sort of like soft bump or something, I, I feel like I could maybe maneuver and, and still have a play at that buck as long as he didn't smell you. I mean, that's not what I would want to do, but if it did happen, at least, okay, I got a buck that's bedded up on this ridge. I mean, that's a lot more info than you, than you knew beforehand. In in a lot of cases, I think in those other States, you can get away with a little soft bump like that. Like my buddy, my buddy, Justin just pulled it off in Missouri, um, on public land. Um, so you, you can do that. It's just, you gotta be smart with it and don't go around necessarily trying to bump deer. I'm, I'm not saying that, but that hot sign, I think, you know, just finding where those, those deer are now, um, that's really what I would focus on in that scenario. Yeah. So what about that example you just described there where you do bump one? Um, we've talked to a lot of different people who've described what they do when they bump a buck, but, uh, what would you specifically do if, if you just were scouting your way in just like that and you bumped him, would you, would you do the bump and dump type thing like Justin tried to do and set up right then and there? Um, and, and assuming that's what you're going to say you're going to do, or if you are going to do that, talk me through exactly how you would try to pick the right tree to do that. Yeah. So like, so, like a soft bump, I was just tight. We were discussing it just yesterday or two days ago, maybe, um, a soft bump in a state that has a little bit less pressure. I am going to, if it's early in the afternoon, say, say anytime between like 11 and three, three thirty somewhere in there, I'm probably going to set up downwind of where that deer was bedded. And I would try to pick a tree where he's going to, you know, he's probably going to approach that bed downwind. I would set up right then and there. If it's a soft bump, meaning he didn't really know what you were. He heard something. He kind of takes off. You hear him. He's not going hundred miles an hour, but he, he takes off kind of bounds away. Maybe you see him walking away. Um, but he doesn't necessarily get your, your scent. I think if, if that's the case, then I, I wouldn't have any confidence in, in setting up there, but you got to assume that the smart hunter is playing the wind as they're scouting their way in. But I would set up downwind of where that deer was bedded. And from my experience, like with, with scrapes and beds, like somewhere in that 75 yard to 30 yard range, I've seen deer approach those areas downwind somewhere in that window. you know, it's like, you don't know exactly, but I would look somewhere in that range, preferably like, on the, on the farther side of that, especially, you know, if they were bumped. Um, and I would sit at that afternoon and if he didn't come through, I would be back there that morning. And then if, if you don't get him, then I'm, I'm on to the next one. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood 
in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself. And you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Would you, would you, let's say that scenario is happening. You set up downwind of that spot, the buck's coming in back to the bed. It actually is kind of working out the way you want it to. But you can see he's not going to come in range for a shot. Do you risk trying to call to him, given the fact that you just bumped him a couple hours ago and he's already on edge? Or do you you just wait and try again the next day or something? I would probably, man, that's tough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that just goes to like the temperament of the deer too. I mean, I think some deer seem to (laughs) let things go more you know some bucks seem seem to kind of not be as affected by things like that and other deer just like come out of their skin and like you know i've i've grunted to some deer and they take off like you shot a shotgun at them you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so i would probably depending on how far i was away from the bed i i might just let him go to bed i might i might stay there if i thought there's a chance he could get up later that evening um whether that be that same day or the, or the next day, I might just stay there. I might try to get down, sneak out and readjust. I mean, it, with, with some of our mobile equipment these days, like it's, it's, you can get pretty good and quiet with it as far as like setting up, um, and taking down, you know, if you, if you're feel pretty stealthy of that and you're say you're, you know, 80 yards away or something like that, you might be able to, to climb down and, and readjust if you think like, Hey, he's going to get up and head, head a different way, but it's all situational dependent, depending on like the terrain and the, the cover, the ground cover, all that stuff comes into play. So it's, it's really a judgment call on that. You know, when you're, you're sitting there up in that tree, you got to kind of think about all that stuff before you make your decision. Here's another one that you just made me think of, but what if you decide you want to make a move like that where you hunt an evening spot you see something and you want to adjust for the next morning. When all, you know, all other things being equal, when do you think is the better time to make that adjustment? Should you make the adjustment after dark that night? So you, you pull down your stuff right then and try to find a spot to hang in the middle of the night while you're there or come back in the next morning early enough to get it set up in the morning before daylight. What time of year are you talking? 
Uh, yeah, let's let's say this is uh, well. The scenario we were just talking through was like October nineteenth, give or take. So let's just stick with that. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm I'm not opposed at all, and I've shot some nice deer going in blind in the morning and setting up. But I've also set up blind in the morning, and then it gets daylight, and I can't shoot anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so. I don't prefer that. Um, if I can somehow pick out a location, um, that evening and, and see a tree, um, that would work. I might be inclined to, um, if, if I, if just say that deer gets up and you see him move off the other way, I would probably be more inclined to pull my stuff down and go set my sticks or whatever right then while he's gone. And then I could hunt that in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, if for some reason you don't feel like you can do that for whatever reason, he's kind of stays in that bedding thicket. You're not sure he's gone. I would probably be more inclined to kind of eyeball where I want to be. Um, and then come back real early in the morning. I think you can, I've had some, I've had some mid and early October hunts out of state where I've seen bucks on their feet well into late morning and it's it's really shocking because i don't see that back home too much but then there's been other times where i've seen bucks literally i've been set up you know an hour and a half before first light and you know it's just gray light or you know even before shooting light and you hear something walking you look down and you see a you know the big buck going back to bed before it's even shooting light so i mean it i think it's again depending on pressure depending on terrain um you know if you're kind of in there their safe zone. I feel like a lot of times they'll get into those areas before daylight, but then you still have some, some activity that during shooting hours where you could get it done. But regardless, the whole point is I'd want to be set up without alerting the deer, whether that's doing it that night after he leaves or getting in there real early. But I would just want to be confident if I'm going to go in there real early the next morning, I want to be confident that that tree is going to be working. I'm is going to work and I'm going to have some shooting a billy out of it yeah that's the trick yeah it's tough to do in the dark um okay let's push forward into late october and we're into the pre-rut it's man, october 27th or 28th or somewhere in that ballpark and we often talk about how that's one of your very that's a really good time of the year because these bucks are getting kind of ruddy they're they're just about ready to, to explode but they haven't necessarily left their core area chasing does all over the place. Um, at least that's kind of a, a generic oversimplification of that time of year. So if that was that time of the year, I might be getting ready to, to go take a swing at some of my better spots maybe for that time of year because of that. But, but, and you've got to buck your after there, but the problem is that right when you're about to do that, a warm spell hits and we're going to get five days the rest of october is going to be hot like 70 degrees let's say so do you still try to take some kind of move in there because you know that once the first or second november hits you just don't know where he's going to be or do you say i'm not going to blow my my chances on these warm weather days and i'm, I'm going to wait until november and see what happens what would you do in that scenario so i i went through um this was probably a year or two ago, but I went through 
a lot. I, I don't think I made it through all of them, but I, I sat down and I started going through all of my kills and I was really looking at, um, historical weather data. Um, and I was trying to find, you know, just basically look at some of the conditions and, and see if I could find some, um, some things that stood out. And, w- and one of the things that was real interesting to me was that I had just as many kills that were above average temperatures as I did below. Um, and I think that in part has to do with the, a lot of the way I hunt deer in that, that time frame of October. And, and I, I put late October in the same, uh, the same general time frame because the the deer are still you know a lot of times in their in their more of their home range not necessarily venturing out to to rut um you know traveling long distances so i in that situation would definitely um move in if it's a if it's a specific deer that i'm after i would try to really get in tight to his bedding and I love the late October or any October cold front. I love it for increased activity and you see, you tend to see better action because deer are traveling further from their beds. And that's a lot of times, like, um, even that first week of October, we had that nice cool front and all my friends were seeing good deer Mm -hmm. and the cameras were blowing up and, you know, it was just, you get a, get a really good activity, but that doesn't mean you can't kill them when it's 70 or 80 degrees. I mean, you can, the deer will still get up out of bed and move, but it's just going to be a lot tighter to bedding. So if it's a specific deer and I have the confidence, uh, and it's an area I know well, and if a deer is in that area and is he, I feel like, okay, he's bedded in, you know, one of these three or four spots, I'm going to dive in and hunt those spots. I, I am during that time of year, because uh, like I said before, going after a specific deer throughout the month of November, I've, I've just chased my tail with it. You know, I see them, you know, way out in the swamp here and then I get a picture of them way over here. It's like, I can never really catch up with that deer. And then, and then he just disappears altogether and he shows back up around like end of November. You know what I mean? So I think you're, it's just, it's such a, when you're after a specific buck, it's such a, a frustrating time. Now, if he's, around you're seeing them and you're still getting pictures that might be one of those times where i'm i might plant myself in that one tree that he goes by the most and just put in my time or a funnel that i know he travels with and just always play the wind around that little area where he he seems to be frequenting so it's 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 going to depend but that that late october time frame warm front i mean i'm not going to sit and wait i'm not going to sit and wait because he could be he could completely move to a different area i've I've seen a lot of bucks do that where they will be around for, you know, that, that early October, mid October, um, maybe even into late October and then come rut, they, they shift, they got a different area they go to. And then if they survive, a lot of times they come back to that area more late season. And then other deer, if you have everything they need, food, cover, water, um, and there's, there's enough does there to keep them interested. I've seen them stay. So it, it's really going to depend on your knowledge of that deer, um, and your knowledge of your hunting area, whether you can get in tight to these bedding, you know, these bedding spots. But I would personally, I would dive in and be aggressive for me. Being aggressive has paid off, um, a lot. It, it's, it's, it's 
probably the one thing about my style of hunting that I think has helped me. I've had a lot of kills just being aggressive, but I've also, you, you, by doing so, you, you just learn more because you, you're getting in there and you're mixing up, you're making some mistakes and, and you just are able to grow from those. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, I'm going to dive in after that buck because I, I feel like it's going to be really hard to, to kind of narrow down. That's a lot of the reason I like to travel during that, those first two weeks of November is because I, I, it's hard for me to kill a specific buck here in Michigan during that time frame. So I'd rather just go to a state that is a little more, um, maybe has a little more, uh, a few more mature deer and then just put in my time in your typical rut spots. And usually the action's better because there's, you know, higher competition, more mature bucks. And it's just, it's just a fun time to travel because I'm not after that one specific buck. Mm-hmm. What's that window of time in October, um, where you would do what you just described, get, get kind of aggressive regardless of the weather. Could you, if you had to pick the window, is it October 25th through 31st? Is that the 22nd through the 31st? Is that the 28th through the 31st? Like what, if you had to pick that window where you got to do it, um, what would you say that would be? Yeah, I would say, you know, that October 25th through November 2nd timeframe, somewhere in there. I mean, ideally I'm hoping for a really good cold front in that time, but if it just doesn't come, I'm not going to, I'm not sitting back doing nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start throwing sits at these, at these spots where I think the bucks are living and I'm just going to get in tighter. You know, the, the, the poorer the weather is for movement, the tighter I'm going to risk getting in closer to bedding. The better it is for movement, um, the cooler the weather, the the farther back I feel comfortable sitting. Um, and that's, that's it, it may be a difference of 50 yards or 100 yards, but that's just kind of the way I look at it. At that time of year, too, um, you know, if you do know where a particular buck is bedded or, or you have a good idea of, of two or three spots, you know, if you could find that something like a, a terrain funnel that leads from that bed or a good scrape that's in close proximity to that bed, that's that's the time frame to sit those spots. And the closer it is to the bed, the better. Like when you're talking about like a late October, like warm front. Mm-hmm. Now, what if we take this this scenario, but we move it to that time frame when you like to travel? So let's say it's November 10th and you're out there on one of these traveling out-of-state hunts and you've got your five days to hunt the rut in Iowa or wherever and you're going to hunt it. You did the travel, but you get this dreaded rut warm spell where you've got the 70, 80 degree temperatures for that week. You're going to hunt, but how would you approach hunting it differently? Uh, You just described to me that you would hunt closer to bedding areas in late October Mm -hmm. But now you're in a new place. You don't, maybe you don't know where specific bucks are bedded. And really, that probably doesn't matter on November 10th because they're chasing does around and doing that kind of thing. So, how would you adjust for a really warm rut vacation? Yeah. So, I, I ran into that, that, that year, that, that day I shot that big um, 11 point in, in Iowa. It was 77 degrees that day. Wow. And that was November 6th. Um, Basically, what what we saw was definitely a drop in overall activity, but the deer were still rutting. We saw flurries of activities 
you know, briefly early in the day and then late. Um, and we were just really mobile and it, we, we found ourselves kind of gravitating towards, we were seeing more action, like just in, in overall thicker cover rather than like the rut funnels. Um, not to say those couldn't pay off, but we, we kind of gravitated towards, we just kept pushing in closer to like doe bedding essentially where there was good numbers of does and we were still seeing activity like even through midday, but they just weren't like, they weren't like, you know, running out in the fields or crossing these big open areas or, or the rut funnels that we were sitting in, like were really, really slow, like midday where in years past, like that was a, a really good spot to camp out all day, you know? So we found ourselves just kind of gravitating towards that thicker cover, which held more, more does. And then the bucks were just kind of coming in and out of there and, or we're already in there. Um, and we just kind of set up downwind of there or kind of get in the middle of it and play the wind best we could. But that's how, that's how we were both basically able to have success that year. We just kind of zeroed in on where a lot of the doe activity was as opposed to like necessarily like, uh, rut funnels where you would expect kind of like late morning, midday and, and early afternoon movement. Did you still hunt midday? Or just bail on that and do something different. Yeah, I, that buck I shot was uh, twelve thirty, middle of the day. Man, that's a. It was you know it was so it was so funny because I I went to, I was down there with you know Mike my buddy you've met him and we we had w- one vehicle so he's, I don't know how he was like four or five miles away, I'm hunting in this spot where he dropped me off and I was ways back in and I'm sitting in this rut funnel and I sat till, I don't know, like 11 and I didn't see a single deer. And so I get down and it's hot. Oh, this is what happened. I was up in the tree. I didn't see a single deer. And then like nine, like nine thirty or 10, I hear like all this, like really aggressive, like rattling. And I'm like, what in the world? And I turn around and there's another hunter probably 75 yards from me and he's blowing on his grunt call and he's just hammering like the uh. biggest fight you've ever heard. And I was like, Holy crap. So I was, <laughs> I was a little, uh, frustrated, not only with that. I mean, it, it happens. I mean, he was doing his thing, whatever, but I was kind of stuck there without a ride and it was going to be in the, you know, nearly 80 that day. So I actually walked down, I hiked out and there was another spot we could hunt, but it was about a mile and a half down the road. So I literally with all my stuff, all my gear, full camo, I'm just like walking down the road and I'm like cursing, you know, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm sweating. I'm hating life. Uh And, um, but I go to this, this other spot where we knew there was a lot of deer there. There was a lot of does in there. It was just a harder area to hunt because it was like so thick. There's big giant, a big giant area without really any significant terrain funnels, but it was great cover. It had standing corn. It had, um, like really tall, like set aside. It wasn't in CRP, but it was just set aside really tall weeds. And there were does and bucks kind of all over in there. And I ended up setting up along a river, um, got all the way over there. I was, I set back up. I mean, I was drenched in sweat. I was so mad. I was texting Mike. I was like, this I was so frustrated, <laughs> you know, it was one of those deals. And then he's like, I know, he's like, I know, man, just, just sit it out, you know, whatever. I was just venting uh-huh. and literally 
it, it all happened like right when I got done texting him that scenario that I explained earlier. And then I just, I text, I called him. It was like 10 minutes later. I called him. I was like, I just shot one. He's like, what (laughs) What in the world are you talking about? You're just crying like a baby. Uh So, um, you know, it was just all location and we were, I was tucked up on the downwind side of all that thick cover. And it just, I got a little lucky because that other buck was moving through that set aside and you know, that the big buck met him and then the doe kind of squirted my way. But you know, that's, that's kind of, that's always my plan when, you know, if it's during the rut and the weather's hot, I'm going to get, I'm just going to try to get in tighter to the does because the bucks will always be there. They won't always be traveling, you know, across fields and into the, you know, uh, down those rut funnels and, and whatnot when it's 80 degrees, but they're, they're going to be, they're still going to be interested in the does. They're still going to rut. That's, that's the fail safe. That's always the, the one spot you can count on. Yeah. That's a good point. All right, I got a couple more for you here. Um, November 5th, 6th, 7th, somewhere in that same kind of general window. And you're hunting your your best spot, your best little rut funnel, let's say, on this chunk that you're hunting. And you're hunting this spot because there's two really good bucks are after. And there might be some other deer in the general area that you don't know about, but you know that there's two really good bucks that you really would like to get a crack at. And you're after them in this spot. And you're, you're in this, it's the spot, but one of these bucks come through, comes through and your wind swirls or something goes wrong and he wins you. So that buck winded you on November 5th in your best spot. How do you adjust? Do you push through and keep hunting it the rest of that day and give it another shot the next day or something? Cause there's still that other buck you want to get a crack at. And this, for some reason you think this is that spot or do you say, all right, I'm 50% screwed because this buck's, he smelled me. Now I need to really rethink things. Uh, what, what's, what's your plan in that situation? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, that's a tough one. I mean, I, it's honestly, I could go either way. I might, I might relocate, um, to an area like, or maybe another funnel or, or, a downwind side of a doe bedding or, or something like that in that same general area where I would think, you know, I'd still have a chance at both of them. Um, I might, I might be inclined to just camp out in that spot and, and hold out for the other buck. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I could, I could go either way in that scenario to be honest with you. Um, but I, I guess my gut would tell me to put myself in an area where the other deer hasn't obviously spooked from me and there's still a a fair chance that the other buck that I haven't seen yet could, could cruise through too. just kind of play the percentages. Okay. Probably something like that. Okay. That's, that seems fair. All right. One more November question. It's November 14th in Michigan. And let's say you are hunting in Michigan at that time period because you do have some special slammer buck that you really want to get a crack at. And it's, it's your last day. Gun season opens tomorrow. We all know that here in Michigan, and you could, you could take the same scenario and drop it in any other state. It's the night before opening day gun season. We know that the next day things are going to change. The woods are going to get blown up by other hunters. There's a, a better chance than at any other point of the year that your target buck could get killed. Um, so in this case, all things being equal, you know, how do you take that last day swing? Um, 
what does that Hail Mary look for you like? What does that look like for you on the last day of bow season? I mean, for us, it's November 14th. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't think that I would feel confident that I would know where that buck was bedded unless I had a sighting or a picture, um, like very, very recently, you know, like a sighting of him going into a thicket or something in the morning, you know, obviously I would, I would move in tight, you know, get in tight and try to swing for the fences like that. But if I didn't see him. I have no idea where he's at. I don't, I wouldn't have confidence of jumping in anywhere and say I'm swinging for the fences. I probably still would do like an all day sit, um, probably either in, I'd probably put myself in a funnel between two bedding, uh, two good doe bedding areas, assuming there is one, like I'm picturing like a, like a, a cool river bottom that has doe bedding along it, um, you know, in the river bends and whatnot. And you position yourself in between and you just do one all day sit. Um, or if I had seen him or saw activity of him in a certain thicket where there was good doe near go good doe numbers, I would probably jump right into the middle of that, um, play in the wind, try, you know, maybe play in the downwind side, uh, a little bit, but maybe not so much on the edge. I'd probably maybe get a little more to the interior and I would do an all day sit. Um, I just wouldn't feel comfortable saying like, Oh, I'm going to jump into this bedding area on November 14th. You know, I, th- I think he's going to probably most likely be locked down with a doe. Um, so tough one, a tough, tough one to answer. Yeah, um, yeah. But I guess I would, I guess I would be inclined to, to pick one of those two choices. Maybe even, you know, if, if it's an area like, um, you know, like maybe a couple of areas that similar to where you and I hunt, you can see a long ways into good cover. Mm-hmm. Might not even be a bad idea to, to set up early in a spot where you can see a long ways in that good cover. Um, you might have a chance at him there, but maybe more so even just trying to get eyes on him. And I think during that time of year, he's probably, you know, like I said, going to be locked down. He's probably not going to be moving super far. Um, it's, it's real, it's real tough to answer that question, but I probably one of those three scenarios I would, I would choose depending on location, habitat, what I could see, um, you know, and the most recent, the most recent Intel I have of that, of that deer, I would try to make the best decision there. Yeah. All right, Andy, you have almost made it through the, what would you do gauntlet? We just got our kind of wrap up rapid fire questions of sorts here to, uh, to end us out. Uh, here's one you've heard me ask before. I am all powerful and I'm going to take away your privileges to hunt for the next 10 years, Andy, no more hunting for 10 years unless you kill a mature buck in Michigan this year. And I'm only going to give you one day to do it. So you have to pick your one single day you're going to hunt this season in Michigan to kill a mature buck. And we'll, we'll give you a three-year-old. We'll say three is mature in Michigan. So you got to kill a three-year-old in Michigan, pick the single day you think you've got the best chance and tell me the hypothetical stand you would sit for that day. Hmm. Man, I go back and forth between two. So I've, I've killed five big bucks on November 6th. I don't know what it is about that day. Um, so part of me wants to pick that one. 
but a lot of those have been out of state. And the other part of me wants to pick the opener. Um, it wouldn't have done me much good this year, but most <laughs> years, most years I have a bead on a buck three and a half or older in Michigan for the opener. And I feel like I have as good a chance as any, probably more so to shoot him that day um, or somewhere in the you know first day or two. So I'm thinking probably I'm probably in some sort of Creek bottom and I have glassed this deer coming out of a spot along that Creek and or a picture some sort of intel that that tells me that he's bedded in this area you know a day or two before the season and then i'm probably going to sneak along that creek down in it and pop up um as close as i can get as close as i can and set up um along that creek along that travel in the direction that I think he's going to head. That would probably be kind of like best case scenario. Like he's kind of works along this Creek, a certain direction to like a destination type food source or something. And I have perfect access, um, through the Creek and then pop up on the bank and just catch him by complete surprise. Probably something like that in Michigan. Uh, I would, you know, if in, in another state, I would say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glassing, a secluded bean field early and you know i'm watching the low spots i'm watching the back inside corners and i see a good buck pop out but i just i haven't been able to capitalize that too much here in michigan but um like a give me a state like you know kentucky or something for the bow opener i mean that that would be more of my my go-to and really high really high success rate just doing that yeah all right that sounds like a pretty good scenario okay rapid fire really quick here one answer or one word answers here does the moon matter for deer movement yes or no yes would you take a 50 yard shot at a whitetail from a tree stand or saddle with your bow yes or no from a saddle stand or saddle um and if it's different tell me what answer for each oh uh no it's not different um one word answer (laughs) (laughs) as best as you can (laughs) Uh, yes. If you could only have one of these for the rest of your hunts, would it be rattling antlers or grunt tube? Which one? For the rest of your life. Rattling antlers. Cause I feel like I could feel like I could probably, if I needed to in a pinch grunt with my mouth. Okay. Expandable or fixed blade broadheads. Gosh. <laughs> I carry both. Uh, <laughs> Depends on the deer. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah. put on the fixed blades for this big boy. <laughs> it's expandable. Should you stop a buck with some kind of sound before shooting? Yes or no? Yes. Will you kill the big six in Ohio this year? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Will I kill my target buck, Tran, this year? Yes. All right, right answer on the last two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy, that's all I got for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. 
Hey, no problem, man. It was fun. It was fun. I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. All right, and that's it. Thanks for listening. I know if you are at all like me and eaten up with all this stuff, then you seriously enjoyed that conversation too. So a couple quick reminders. Number one, we've got the Whitetail Weekly Newsletter from Meat Eater that I and uh, myself and Spencer put together. So make sure you are signed up for our Whitetail Weekly Newsletter to get the latest Whitetail content that we are publishing over there. You can find that over at TheMeatEater.com. Secondly, make sure you're following me on Instagram, wired to hunt That's the handle on Instagram. I'm posting live updates for my hunts on the IG story and a lot more behind-the-scenes stuff. That's where you can find it. And uh, I guess that's it. So uh, best of luck with your upcoming hunts. Have a blast out there. Be safe. And until next time, stay wired to hunt I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.